This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to episode 64 of the Equalizer podcast. Chelsea Bush and Claire Watkins here with you to talk about the insane amount of soccer games that we've had going on lately. And we have Women's World Cup. The NWSL came back. But big news right now, the U.S. Women's National Team has officially moved on in advance to the round of 16. They have one more game to play on Thursday against Sweden. But with their wins, 13-0 over Thailand and 3-0 over Chile. They've secured a spot in the knockout round. Claire, so many goals, so little time. Hit me. Oh, my gosh. Um, Yeah. Well, it's all going according to plan, right? So we knew that these first two games uh, for the U.S. were probably not going to be very competitive. Um, And we saw two very different approaches. The one against Thailand was the U.S. put together – their best 11 or what Jill Ellis considers to be their best 11 minus uh, Becky Sauerbrunn who had a, a tweak um, that they didn't want to aggravate. Um, yeah. And I, if I could jump in real quick, I want to say that I think I speak for everyone when I had a minor heart attack seeing that because sometimes the U S says things are minor and then they linger, linger on for like nine months. Yeah. They also, so. sometimes the U S has injured players that they keep playing. So I guess I'm, I'm glad that they left that they were smart about that part um it, it definitely seemed like and, and they they emphasized this and I do believe that Sauerbrunn warmed up with the team before the game started that she did if the game had mattered she probably would have played um yeah. it mattered they, more than right 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 yes of course it matters but um but also I think the U.S. knew what they were about to go do to Thailand and they just didn't think that they needed to risk it um except you know and there's been a larger conversation about this they put together they it was their best 11 they didn't start with the rotation they started with the players that they think are the best in the world um and they played like it you know they scored a lot of goals uh the only thing i would say about that game though is um thailand was playing with their backup goalkeeper and i think that if they had had their first choice keeper it would not have ended the way that it did. Um, I think it would have still been a, a high-scoring game, but it might have. It would, I think it would have stayed in the single digits, and that would have felt a little bit different. Um, Thailand held France scoreless for 60 minutes a couple weeks ago in one of their early friendlies. They beat Australia a couple of months ago. Um, Thailand isn't a, a, a terrible team. They're not that bad. They're not great, but um, I just think that their keeper had a very bad game. 
Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, they made it to the World Cup. Like, right. you have to do something to get there. Uh, they also, they did give up five to Sweden earlier today, but they scored one in the end. They did. And that that's great for them. Um, onwards and upwards. Um, yeah, this game was, they were always, I think the group stage has really kind of worked out the way the games played out, worked out well for the U.S., where they can come out in the first game with their A-team, just get them really ready to roll do some rotation in the B game and then have that A team fresh yep. and ready to go for the, the really big game, which is Sweden on Thursday. But um, I, I think also that it's a bit unfortunate that they had to wait so long to play this game. Cause I yes. think that yeah. the longer it took, the more they were just like, you know, raring to go. And I think yeah. that always was going to spell doom for Thailand. Absolutely. I mean, they, they're, I mean, I, I jokingly tweeted a couple weeks ago that, um, they're all lunatics, but I kind of mean it. They, um, they're they not meant to just sit and watch every single game happen before they get to play. Um, and it's not a surprise that they went out onto that field and decided to blow off some steam. Um, I think, you know, I think it's very easy for us to, you know, you and I have watched a lot of soccer games in the last couple of weeks um, to think that the U.S. team's experience of the tournament is anywhere near similar to ours. But I think that, um, you know, they're in a very controlled environment. They desperately want to be playing. And I'm sure that waiting for that last match um, had to be torture. And I think that they played with that kind of intensity. Yeah. And also, you know, to go back to what you said, Thailand playing with their backup goalkeeper, we have seen all the time, particularly in this tournament, that a good goalkeeper can be the start of something for a team that's, a little bit of a lower ranking, maybe doesn't have the same backing from the Federation that, you know, other teams have that I, to me, when you start a, a team's trajectory upward, it starts with the goalkeeper and you, you compare the games. I don't think there was a huge difference between what we call the A team and the B team as in the way they played against Thailand and the way they played against Chile. Um, I, I think that, but you look at the score lines, I mean, that's a 10 goal difference. That's huge. And had it not been for an offside flag, it would have been three one to to Chile, and for that matter, and a couple of, of incorrect calls, including a, a corner kick that, that Julie Ertz converted that should have been a goal kick. Right. But you have to give credit to the goalkeeper, and that's Endler for Chile. Just, ab- I mean that that scoreline could have been double today. Yeah. For the absolutely. U.S. versus Chile. Yeah. Uh, I think also, you know, it, it's unfortunate. And I think maybe we have to open up the larger conversation about kind of for the for the viewer at home how you can call it unfortunate. You can call it, you know, you can blame FIFA neglect. You can just say it's bad luck. The U.S.'s journey through this tournament is a bummer for fans because they got put in by far the weakest group. And as we've seen, they really are one of the top three teams in this tournament. I mean, that's no fluke. They really are very good. And they're playing teams that are nowhere near ready or ready or equipped for that. Um, elsewhere in the tournament, we've seen some great games against underdogs versus, you know, heavy hitters. You know, we saw Argentina versus Japan. We saw what New Zealand did for almost 90 minutes against Canada. Um, the games have been pretty well tempered, but the U S is in this group where they're playing vaguely unentertaining games because they're playing teams that are way out of their depth against them. And then they're going to get slammed in the face once they hit the knockouts, um, and if they don't weather that, their tournament, if you're a casual fan just watching that one team, 
it's too bad because you would have to think that there were draw changes that could have been made or something to give them a more interesting journey through this World Cup. Yeah, and in some ways I think it works against them because you do have two very simple, easy games that you can kind of just walk through. Not to, to I'm not trying to insult Thailand or Chile, but that's just a ma- the, the simple matter of the fact. Right. They're, they're outmatched, and the U.S. did not have to work all that hard to get a result from them. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they play against Sweden, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they play in the round of 16, whoever their opponent is, because I think that they... It's almost set them up them up for for being overconfident. Yeah, and and, and I, I hope not. But right, and I think whoever they do play in the round of sixteen is going to be the type of game that they'll have wished they had in the group stage. Um, we saw France play Norway. Norway really took it to France. They made the French have to kind of elevate what they were doing already. That's a good test for them early. Um, Germany versus Spain. Germany versus China. They had to figure some stuff out and kind of gut out wins. Um, you know, or even, you know, England, Argentina in England had to find that goal against, you know, staunch Argentinian defense. Um, I would have loved to see like a USA Scotland matchup in a group or a USA or a Norway or Italy. There are just so many teams that really could have been very interesting for the U S to play. Um, and they just didn't get that draw. Yeah. And they haven't had to really, like buckle down and figure it out against the opponent in, in quite some time. I mean, we saw opponents in CONCACAF try to bunker like Mexico and the U.S. just obliterated that. Now, the U.S. attack is significantly improved from what it was in 2016. And we saw them play against organized teams like they, they played Scotland earlier this year and had to figure it out a little bit, but it just was a different environment. And we've seen them get run over like they did against, uh, against France early this year. But in this type of environment, I mean, they haven't had to, to figure it out in since 2016. I don't think we're going to see that game on Thursday. There's there's absolutely no reason for Sweden to try and bunker. I think, I think Sweden is a better team than they were in 2016. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to, to grind out a result is not something the U.S. has had to do in a while. But I also kind of think that you look at like the send-off series, none of those were great opponents. And we, we a lot of us, myself included, were very critical of how the U.S. was playing. You know, I, I said a lot about how Alex Morgan was playing, how she wasn't getting enough t- touches on the ball, how she was right. kind of invisible. Yeah. And then she shows up for the World Cup and scores five. Right. So maybe she was just saving it up. Well, kind right? of. I do think that's part of it. And this is where, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about the U.S. mentality this week. But I do think it's probably true that um, there's, you know, we're, we're all human beings. They know when the games don't matter and they know when they do. Um, and for them, you know, we can, we can complain about the, the draw all day, but for them, every single minute in this tournament matters and it does. Um, and yeah, I think that, I think obviously they were given, they weren't given much to work against, against Thailand, but Alex Morgan showed up, Megan Rapinoe showed up. Um, you know, you even got, you know, Sam Mewis, Rose Lavelle, um, Mallory Pugh, no jitters, you know, or even if they did, they didn't have the opportunity to have it hurt them. Um, though, but here's actually, here's one. I'm going to pivot. Uh, no jitters from many of the U.S. debutantes. Uh, Alyssa Nair had kind of a scary moment yep. in this game. Uh, yeah, we were, we were getting there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That she, was she not did because good. 
offside or not, she came out and completely missed that ball. Well, and also it lends the question. Obviously there was a controversial call in Australia versus Brazil where it was made very clear that because Sam Kerr did not touch that ball, that the goal stood, the offside didn't count. Now, if neither Nair nor the Chilean forward, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't remember exactly who it was, touched the ball, how is that called off for offside? Or if Nair had touched the ball, would that have made a difference? I'm a little bit confused on it. Well, I think everyone is. I don't think that that rule has been made very clear, at least to me, that I've seen. Um, I think it's, it sounds kind of like a dumb rule. I don't see how that goal um stands for australia i think that that brazil was going to feel very hard done by yeah um yeah that was a a little bit of a nervous moment and and you kind of were like okay well if you're going to have a nervous moment let it be against chile in the group stage right but it is one of the it it was unfortunately one of the things that's that's nayers that's the worst part of her game is what happened in that moment and so you worry that well yeah it was a nervous moment but like yikes that is not improved um and different teams. And I also thought it was interesting because um, the U S there were a couple uh, Chile got a couple free kicks kind of in that space between midfield and the 18 and the U S were definitely taking a high line. They were trying to draw players offside, um, which considering Nair's strengths and Nair's weaknesses, I think that's a mistake because I think you don't, you don't execute that offside trap perfectly and you get someone in off in on there on side, that's a goal. Um, so I thought that was an interesting tactic that seemed to misunderstand the strengths and weaknesses of their starting goalkeeper. I, I completely agree with you. I don't think that Nair off her line is, is her. That's her strongest suit. It's always been an odd decision to me to play that kind of way and to choose her as your number one, number one goalkeeper. You either play to your goalkeeper strengths or you find a goalkeeper whose strength is, covering lots of space off her line. But, you know, we see that Australia does the same thing, play very, very high with center backs are the most mobile and asking a, a keeper to cover just enormous sections of the field. And part of that is just that's where the game is is going. It's much more of an offensive game these days. And, and I think people just admit that they're going to give up goals. Um, but, but to go, I, I kind of want to take that and run with it a little bit because particularly in this morning's game, I was – Noticing, and, and maybe because Ali Wagner pointed out several times, how much Krieger and Davidson were cutting inside. Yeah. And and then to me, I'm like, well, I, I, liked, I liked how it turned out a lot. I thought that was an interesting tactical wrinkle. We haven't seen from the U.S. outside backs significantly. So I thought it was interesting to kind of change tactics at the World Cup and not before. Yeah, right. Um, because usually they, they kind of prefer their wingers to cut inside and the outside backs to, to kind of uh, run around them and go end line, which is a little bit more of a traditional approach. But I liked it in this game. I liked, I think that both of them played very well and, and did a lot and created a little bit more going up the middle than the U S has done in quite some time. Um, but I also was thinking that it, it, it was leaving a lot of space yeah, and asking for one fast forward and one really good ball to do some work and it would leave a lot of space and you're asking for potential. If you can get, if uh, the opposition can get numbers forward and transition overloading the U S center backs. And it's, it's a little bit, you you think of like playing France in that quarterfinal and they're very, very suited to take advantage of that. Yeah. And and that's where it's hard to tell exactly, man, there have been some weird, there's been some weird coaching so far in this tournament and it's hard to tell 
if how much of these things are match day decisions based on the opponent or um, whether these are weaknesses that the coaches don't see. Um, Kim McCauley wrote a piece about about Marta for uh, SB Nation that that went out last week, and and one of the most one of the weirdest quotes and I, rings in the back of my head all the time in that piece is Ali Wagner said that before 2007 the U.S. didn't discuss their opponent when they were preparing for matches; <laughs> they only talked about what they were trying to do, um, which to me sounds crazy. But I wonder yeah. to a certain extent how much teams, the good ones, are still kind of doing that, still just trying to put their game together and not worry about who they're playing and then being surprised when they get torched. Or like Germany being surprised when they get kicked by China or, <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, they did. Um, I don't know. That That's an interesting – that to me seems like a recipe for disaster to not know your opponent. I do think it's it's a good game plan to come out and say, okay, we're going to take control of this. Right. And we're going to play the way we want to play. But I think that you have to know your opponent enough to know how to adapt if that doesn't work out for you. Because sometimes – the other so you're assuming that the other team's going to come out and say, okay, I'm going to take control. And it's usually whoever takes control of a game – is the one who wins it. I mean, every once in a while, yes, you have a fluke result based on just a really good goal and transition or something like that. But usually the team who who controls the game and plays the way they want to play is the one who wins it. So if both teams and coaches are coming at that, I would think it would be the one who adapts better that wins. Right. Um, but yeah, I, you know, the U S games, they, I don't think they've said a ton other than I think one of the more interesting things we saw um, that I'm not sure we were all expecting is that uh, Ellis rotated all of her field players. Um, we've seen all we've seen all non-keeper players get time already, and that's a little bit of a surprise. And obviously, this is not against the competition that they're going to see later in the tournament. But wow, the U.S. is deep. That's a deep team. Yeah, I, and there there is no Whitney Eng in this tournament, which I'm grateful for because I think that must suck to to be a field <laughs> right. player and be the only one not to sub in. And I think it's good. It gets it gets because there you do have so many debutantes, and it gets them gets those those nerves out, and get, it gets lets them have a moment on the field and, and have that. Oh my gosh, I'm in the World Cup! Holy crap! And then you get players like like Krieger, who hasn't been with the team in a while, gets her a, a solid 90 minute game to get back in the swing of international things. Yeah. Um, Morgan Bryan and, had a pretty good game. Morgan Bryan had a pretty good game. Yes, she did. She yeah. made some very, very good passes. I thought she was, her movement was pretty good. Yeah. Especially in the first half. And I think in the second one, she moved a little bit deeper. Um, not, not quite as much, but one more question for you, since we're talking about the midfield, mm-hmm. uh, Jill was kind of spared having to make this decision because Becky Sauerborn was out for the first game. So she moved Ertz back and played both Horan and Mewis. This game she started, Horan Mewis didn't play. Against Sweden, do you think she's leaning Horan or Mewis in that midfield? Ooh, that's a good question. Lindsay Horan picked up a yellow card in this game. That is also good interesting. Point. Good point. Um, you can only get two, which is awful. I hate it. It's but, a stupid um, rule. But yeah, yeah. It is what it is. Um, oh, that's a very good question. I you can't bench Horan. She's too good. Um, I think. But depending on how the first half goes, if if Lindsay Horan, if 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 the first half goes okay for the U.S., I would sub Horan out because of that yellow card. 
See, that's interesting because I'm thinking that because Perrin also started this match, to me, says that Ellis is leaning towards starting Mewis. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. And is resting yeah, her. Absolutely. I also, I, yeah. I think if she wasn't already, I do think that yellow card is a good point. Yeah, um, right. So I, I personally, right now at this very moment in time with the form they're in for the U.S. team, I think I'm still leaning Mewis. Yeah. Um. But yeah, we'll we'll see. Yeah, we? that's kind of been the big question coming into this whole tournament, right? And it's also it's kind of crazy that we've gotten to this point where Rose Lavelle is an undroppable in the midfield too, because that's not where we were a year ago. Um, I will, I'm, I'll go on record. I was, I have not been impressed by Sweden. I think that the U.S. are not going to have um, a ton of trouble with them, or they shouldn't at least. Um, but I, I do think that. Uh, you have to be very careful about the types of players you select because we know that there are some players in the U.S. that when things get kind of tough in the middle of the field, they sort of disappear. Um, so, yeah, eyes on Mewis, eyes on Lavelle. I think that's interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, we've talked so much about the U.S. We still have so much more World Cup to to get to. And as promised, we will, I promise, talk about the NWSL. So we will be right back. All right, welcome back to episode 64 of the Equalizer podcast. And before we jump into WSL, let's have our stat of the week sponsored by FBref.com, who's compiling all sorts of stats for women's leagues, the Women's World Cup, soccer everywhere, FBref.com. So with the win, 3-0 win over Chile today, 13-0 win over Thailand, the U.S. has broken their own record of scoring in the group stage in a Women's World Cup and we haven't even made it to the third game, guys. They are right now at a 16 goals scored, zero goals against. The nearest record was in 1999. That was 13 goals scored, one goal against. They have never gone a group stage without conceding at least one goal. The last time, the only time they've lost a group stage game was in 2011. It was the third game of the group. And it was against Sweden. Dun, dun, dun. They lost that. Yeah, <laughs> some, some music here. They lost that one to two, setting themselves up for that epic quarterfinal against Brazil. So very, very interesting game coming up on Thursday. Thank you to FBref.com for sponsoring that. Now, on to the NWSL, at least for a moment. There were four games yesterday. There was a lot of soccer yesterday, but there were four NWSL games yesterday. Three of them were draws. Very much a, a draw game. One of them quite controversial, but before we get <laughs> to the officiating, anything else you want to say about yesterday's games, Claire? Uh, it was a good weekend for the Chicago Red Stars. <laughs> uh, they got the week <laughs> off, and all of most of their top contenders uh, all only got a point, so that was good for them, I guess. Uh, no, it it it's never shocking after a break to have a bunch of ties. I think I think we had a bunch of draws right after the U.S. players left too. Um, I just think that that happens. Uh, thoughts. Um, the teams that have Amy been playing, Rodriguez? Uh, yeah, Amy Rodriguez had an incredible goal. Uh, that's the goal of the year, if not possibly the nicest goal. I don't. I literally don't understand how she physically did that with her foot. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it seemed like maybe some of the hot teams had lost some momentum. The Spirit looked fine. They didn't look great. Um, North Carolina and Portland, you know, ran each other kind of into the ground um, for, for, you know, a point each. Uh, Dash versus Orlando was a disaster, but, you know, no team lost, so I guess that's good. Yeah, I think that uh, Damian Rodriguez's goal was just, yeah, it was a thing of beauty, and she seems to be rounding into a very good form. I was, you know what, I was thinking about this, about her and Vero and Yuki Nagasato and just some of the players that, for whatever reason, are not at the World Cup that are still just so incredibly good. Um, and I think that, uh, yeah, Jess Fislock is another, and we'll, we'll talk about her too, but there's a, there's a bunch of really great, it's fun to be reminded of all the amazing players who are not actually at the tournament after the league took a, you know, a couple weekends off. Yeah. And, but I, I, I can't help but wonder watching Utah, looking at Utah is, is Amy Rodriguez going to continue that form when Kristen Press comes back? So that's kind of been a thing for them is getting them both on the same page. Right. I think I think it speaks to um, there are some teams where things get in a weird way, not easier, but they get more simple once your stars are gone because you can you can make some adjustments based on personnel that are maybe easier decisions to make. Um, yeah, I think there are some teams that got worse when their stars left and some teams that not again, not better, but have been able to make some easier coaching decisions. And I think Utah is one that we've yet to see the real final product from them. Yeah, that's a good point. And also of note, kind of speaking of final product, Mitch Purse has now scored um, three games in a row yeah. for Portland. And you have to, it's players like her who get extra time during these games and step up to the plate. You kind of have to almost feel sorry for, because you know, she's not going to be a starter when all the world cup players come back, but she seems to be in very good form. And do you you remember when Mitch purse was an outside back? Like I keep going back to that. And I'm like, why (laughs) Why is that a thing? Yeah. Uh, Also, I do want to note, unfortunately for Portland that Angela Salem uh, did tear her ACL. We'll miss the rest of the season. She's joining a, but a rather large list of ACL tears, I think. Yeah. Considering how early we really still are in, in the season. We're not even halfway through. It's been a tough, it's been a tough first couple of months for, yeah. for the season ending injuries. Yeah. But in better news, post ACL, Christy Mew has scored for Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, that 2 2 draw, that I think is, is kind of the big talking point. Um, Orlando scored two goals in the game. I think it's the first time this season. So. Yeah. Joanna Yay. Boyles, she she scored that that great goal off that free kick. That was awesome. She did, she did. But I think the the thing we have to talk about before we get to that, I do want to point out that Houston was one of those teams that was supposed to pick up points yeah. during the World Cup break. Right. And I think looking back, I think we all said, oh, they're not losing any U.S. players. They should be better. They lost a big chunk of international players. You know, yes. Rachel Daly, four Canadians. Claire Polkinghorne, they they lost quite a bit, and I think that they're they really have not players like Puerta and Ohai um, and Nairn and Mewis have not quite stepped up as much as we thought they were going to. Yeah, but. I think right those players for whatever reason. I think Ohai Ohai unfortunately has not reached the form that she was at when she was getting U.S. looks um, after her you know long long term injury rehab. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. She did look good. She looked a little bit of her old self in picking up the assist 
mm-hmm. to Sofia Huerta in, in one of Houston's goals. And sort of that I recognize that I can outrun this, right. yeah. this defender. Here's that burst of speed that used to be that acceleration that was always a hallmark of her game. But I don't think it's consistent enough. I, I agree with that. But I think we, we kind of have to talk about that non-call. Like, yeah. for those who, who didn't see, it's it's all over Twitter. You shouldn't have to look hard to find it. As Haley Kottmeyer came out of her box to um, make a save, she, she played as she should. While she was going, trying to backpedal into her box, the ball was rebounded back in. This time made a save with her hands. And she, I mean, it is, it is the most clear as daylight thing I've ever seen. She was feet outside of her body. There was no, she's not stepping on the line. There is no question. She was handling the ball outside of her box. Did yeah. not get called. Um, right. I mean, what happened? Yeah, right. So she came out of the box to clear the ball, do a clearance, and that was fine. Um, and then when Houston repossessed it and took a shot, she just she just reacted the way goalkeepers do. This is how this happens. Yeah, and you know what's crazy is had she been in the box, it would have been a great reaction save. Right. It was a great yeah. save, just the location. Um, and I don't think the fault here is really on Kottmeyer. It's on the referee. Right, exactly. Um you know, I, I maybe I have a slight, I mean, I maybe a slight disagreement with um, people who think that that changed the, it could have, it could have changed the outcome of the game. But obviously that's an indirect free kick. It is a, it is a red card. It's an ejection for the goalkeeper, but there were three minutes left in the game. I'm not sure that Houston definitely would have won if that had been called. However, that has to be called. Um the assistant ref was right there. Um, and, you know, obviously there have been, there's been some VAR controversy in the world cup, but part of the issue with the VAR in the world cup is, is the, the refereeing in the NWSL, which is one of the top leagues in the world is so inconsistent and poor. It make, it changes the way that players play and it affects the legitimacy of, you know, not you know of of not results so much but just the style of play you know it can't it's it's bad it's not good and and i think it it comes back down to this issue of the official the officials don't get paid enough so they can't attract really good officials good officiating and then this kind of stuff happens and people just feel like their hands are tied yeah it just it makes a mockery of the league and of the players that are here uh, but I've, that that was just probably the worst call or non-call I've seen since Becky Sauerbrunn got called for a handball when hit her nose. <laughs> that was just last um, year. Yeah, and it was against Orlando. Yeah. Uh, not that that has anything to do with it. I'm not suggesting that. But yeah, that was that was crazy. She should have had a red card. She should be missing next week. I think that uh, – yeah, I agree that it probably would have changed the outcome of the game. But I think that, that, that they're very lucky. And that just – it's just so frustrating that – when the fans in the seats can see it, and particularly when the fans in the seats, when, when we see it on TV, sometimes we have a better vantage point. But if a fan in the seat at the stadium is sitting stationary, doesn't usually have a great view of things that are happening on the field unless they're sitting right there. But when every fan can see it, and the referee, the AR is right there. There are <laughs> pictures that capture the, that moment, and she is right there. It's just frustrating. They, they, the, the league and the players deserve better than that. And yes, I, I understand that they don't get paid very well and we don't attract the best referees, but that's just, that's so frustrating to see. Um, 
Anyway, um, we do kind of need to talk about the World Cup again. Yes. I know we, we used up kind of the first first part of this podcast with the U.S., but other things happen. I think probably the, the big one we want to talk about is that insane Australia-Brazil game. Yeah. The ended in 3-2 in Australia's favor. They went down 2-0 to Brazil. Certainly looked like they were about to have a disaster of a World Cup. And not without their own controversy, came back to sort of score score three goals. Sort yeah. of. Right. No, yeah, that... Well, right. Australia's in trouble. This game did not change that. Um, Brazil is also in trouble. These are two very troubling teams. Um, and so, therefore, that game being that crazy is pretty much exactly what anyone could have expected. Um, well, Australia Australia has been pulled into some desperate lineup changes. Steph Catley played center back. Um, they said it was because Claire Polkinghorn, you know, she picked up a knock this week. I'm sure that's true. But also Polkinghorn was pretty bad in their first game, um, which means that Elise Kellen Knight was playing left back when they really need her at defensive mid. Um, Van Eggman stayed at defensive mid, which is not her strongest suit. Um, and they, yeah, they really could. They had a lot of trouble handling um, what Zabinia was bringing. Uh, Marta still didn't look 100%, but they had to, you know, focus on her. Formiga had a great first half. Um, and then in the second half, you know, Brazil faded a little bit. Um, you know, the second Australia goal was was odd to say the least as was the third the thing for Australia for me though that drove me crazy is that they've got Sam Kerr and Caitlin Ford on their front line who are incredible at connecting and in receiving the ball at their feet and turning and turning those into shots and goals and they were whipping balls in in the air from Gielnik on the wing and to me, that's another one with the with the coaching there. I, I don't see what the Australian coaching staff is seeing, thinking that that's the best way for Australia to be dangerous in front of their, their opponent's goal. Yeah, I agree. I think in both games, there were a lot of questions about the tactics. I think that neither of them have, neither Australia nor Brazil have officially advanced yet. Um, to, to briefly talk, uh, France, Germany, Italy, England, Canada, Netherlands, Sweden, U.S., and Japan – have all officially advanced the knockout round. Um, I, I think that the Australia and Brazil both will end up advancing, but I think they're both going to be shattered by whoever that is they, they play, unless it's just happens to be one of the, the third place teams that kind of just scrapes through. I just, but yeah, Australia, I, I think that they've, they entered this game with not very much defensive depth to begin with. And then Laura Alloway got an injury. So they're already down. But I just I look at the roster and I think, okay, you 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 brought like when Alloway went got out, they called up Carly Rossbach and who I like a whole lot, but she just got her first cap ever for Australia, in the World Cup. Right. And then you look at players like I look at the W League and I think um someone maybe like like Jenna McCormick who's just a little bit more experienced, could probably have stepped in and, and allowed. Steph Catley, Steph Catley is, is at her best, is I think one of, if not the best left backs in the world. And she should not be, she and where she really excels, I think, is her service in her offensively. Why are you taking that away from her? Because she's your backup center back. And then again, you're taking Elise Kellen Knight, who is their best defensive midfielder. And it's just, it's every time Jill Ellis talks about playing <laughs> Ertz, is, like this is what, this is what happens. This is right. what happens when your starters are your backups. For your other starters. Yeah, right. When you do not have the bench, and Australia has enough talent 
on their team in the, in their pool in the W League to to not put themselves in the situation. And I think we're going to look back at this, and I think we're going to question the coaching change. Yeah. And I think we're going to question the selection. I think there's a lot of questions to be asked. And and this is Australia's time. This was supposed to be their their golden age. You know, their 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 group. And and fortunately, their players are young enough they could have another go. Um, potentially, you know, at the home field, but they keep letting, every time we think we're going to see something great out of Australia, they keep letting us down. And it's, it's just frustrating. Brazil's not as surprising to me. They came in on to the World Cup in terrible form. They have, uh, Christiane is having a really good World Cup. They've stepped it up so far. I just don't think that that's going to carry them very far. Yeah, I think both teams are pretty poor. Um, and... And that's made it interesting because I, you know, Italy was the first um, team in that group to clinch the knockout stages. And they've been, they've had a very good game plan um, and they're playing to their strengths and they're playing very simple soccer and it's going really well for them. But I mentioned, I mentioned that Thailand beat Australia. um, The Netherlands beat Australia uh, and they haven't looked, you know, as, as impressive as maybe we'd hoped in the world cup. Um, I think, think that I think it's pretty bad and I think it's pretty poor and um because of my appreciation for the talent on that team I'm glad that this is not the total nightmare scenario they're getting knocked out in the group stage because you know that psychologically is not something that that those players deserve um but yeah you just kind of wonder a little bit if didn't the federation find a way to mess this up for them for this year yeah, it's 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 unfortunate. Not, you know, at the end of the day, the players on the field have to to step up to it too, and not all of them are. But it is frustrating, and you see that you don't think they're being they're being set up to fail. Um, now I do want to also talk briefly about Canada and New Zealand as two other teams that have quite a few NWA sellers. I went into this World Cup not expecting a ton from Canada. They've they've been defensively strong this year, but their offensive output has been very very poor. And they did a little bit better, actually, over New Zealand, who has also disappointed me in this World Cup. Um, but I just, I don't see them making a deep run. They're not, to me, they're just not creating enough quality chances from enough players to see them take on the likes of a France or the U.S. or something like that. Yeah, they, um, I think for me with Canada, I think that their tactics could win them a World Cup. I think that it's something that works. I think if you can grind, turn every game into a grind, um, that is absolutely one way to tackle a tournament. I think the thing for Canada, though, is that their fin- their finishing is so poor. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of talk about Christine Sinclair and this goal record, but I don't know so much if, if, if Sink is, is spooked by that, but more that she trusts her teammates almost too much up on that front line. She's trying to do too much. She's doing a lot of running. She's trying to connect with players like, you know, Becky um, and Fleming up top. And, you know, Fleming did get a goal in, in this last match, but they're not taking their opportunities. There, there was this moment in Canada's first match where it became clear that you could have a defensive breakdown. You could leave players open and have that not come back to bite you. And that makes them an easier, such an easy team to defend that you wonder at what point is a team with more firepower going to just break down that defensive block easily. I mean, 
I mean, I'm not saying you have to score a ton to win a World Cup. We saw the U.S. last time. But I think in this World Cup, as offensively powerful as some of these teams are, that I think you're going to need to. And shouldn't shouldn't Canada be better by now than having to grind out a World Cup? It's It's so interesting because, in a way, I do think Canada, I don't know if it's better. They're less physical than they used to be. Um, the game plan is a lot less about kind of digging into the opponent and seeing what you can grab out of it, which is good. Um, but the tactics are just so, they're so dull. Um, it's, it's like every time they go into a match, it's a concession that their players aren't good enough to be fun. Uh, which like I said, it might work, but if it, if it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily leave you a lot to build on later. Yeah, and I think this is another one where we're going to ask questions of the Federation and the coaching. And obviously their situation is a little bit different, but they did not play like this under John Herdman. I think they played a lot more confidently and, and freely. They never, I mean, Canada to me has never played really beautiful soccer. Always been very physical. Um, but I, as I've noticed a change since Herdman has left, and I don't think it's one for the better. Another opponent in, in their last match was New Zealand, who unfortunately continues their streak of never winning a World Cup match. It is it is rough for New Zealand sometimes. Yeah, I mean, that's another coaching conversation. I think um, it seems like Tom Sermani has completely changed that locker room, which is commendable and good. I, you know, I think that he took it from a very negative situation to make it a much more positive one. He has not made them a better soccer team. Um, and New Zealand's scorelines would have been much more severe without Abby Ursag being one of the best defenders in the world. Yeah, I, it's funny to me because I think that the usually kind of getting a locker room together tends to be one of Sermani's strengths. Yeah. Um, so you have to kind of wonder what it would look like. The Abby Ursag would not be here if it wasn't for Tom Sermani. Right, um, true. And they were kind of in shambles, but... Yeah, there's another team where I'm like, shouldn't they be better than this? They have individual players who play in, in leagues, in NWSL, in, in FAWSL, all over the world. And I'm just like, shouldn't they at least be scoring? Like, they just, they're another team who feel like they're playing down. Like, they, they look a little bit afraid to play openly and play out. And I guess the scoreline support that, but... Yeah, certainly it's... against Canada, I think. Well, you know, yeah, this comes down to the coaching, because you're right. I do think that NWSL-grade players, if you're good enough to start on an NWSL team, theoretically, you should be good enough to get at least one result at in the group stage of the World Cup. Um, and New Zealand against... Um, New Zealand, not, not Canada. New Zealand against the Netherlands. They did actually try to play a little bit more for the beginning of that match. And it, it almost worked. They hit the crossbar. Rosie White got some cool shots off. Um, and then with about 15 minutes left, they decided that they wanted to bunker for a draw, and that's when they conceded. And then when they came out against Canada, it looked like they were going to try to bunker for a 0-0 draw for the whole game, which, you know, I, I understand that based on the way that Canada plays, but you got to give yourself a shot just mentally. Um, and so those are my big questions for Sermani now, which is if you instructed your team to play this way, why? Yeah, well, unfortunately, questions we may not ever get answered, but that is probably all we, we could talk about every game and <laughs> probably make this yeah. podcast hours long, but let's not do that. So coming back, we will answer some of your questions in the third segment.
Welcome back to episode 64 of the Equalizer podcast. We are in our last section, which is viewer, or I guess not viewer questions, <laughs> listener questions. My bad. Um, pl- as a reminder, please, when you submit a question, use hashtag EQZpod. You don't have to wait for us to tweet out for them. You can just send it to us anytime and we'll we'll get to them. So first up, Joe Williams says, the Dash are managing to get results despite playing against 15. I'm, I'm assuming that means 15 players. Whether from an offside goal of the week to a blatant red card miss for handling outside the box. What say you about the poor state of NWSL officiating compared to that at Women's World Cup 2019? We've already touched on that. It's poor. It needs to be better. And I don't um, think that the Dash would necessarily have won either of those games. <laughs> true. Good point. Uh, I don't think it's, it's officiating across, uh, bad officiating across the board. I don't yes. think it's just against the Dash. Just the recent ones happen to be against the Dash. Yes. Or the most egregious. Um, Marissa says, if France and USA meet in the quarterfinals, do you think that will help ratings for the remainder of the tournament or will viewers be less interested with one of the top contenders out? Okay. Two things I want to say about this. Um, when we're talking about ratings, we are talking about casual fans, right? Like the the hardcore Woso fans are going to watch regardless. The casual fans, they may not know that France is one of the top contenders, frankly. Um, or they may not, if they're from another country, they may not know U.S. is, is one of the top contenders. Um, I think that if you have a casual fan who just says, hey, there's a big soccer game on today. I keep hearing ads about it. Let me turn it on to what it's about. And they see an absolutely killer game in the quarterfinals, which just very well could be. To me, that is the best advertisement for this tournament that there is. If, if you When you talk about getting ratings up and you talk about getting more viewers, you are talking about the fans who don't watch every USA game, the fans who don't know the NWSL exists. And you need to have killer soccer games to get them to watch more. So I think if, if this is a great quarterfinal, it's not going to hurt the remainder of the tournament, the, the remaining, what, four games of that tournament whatsoever. Any opposing view, Claire? Um, I mean, I think that I think in the U.S. you're going to have – you know, a, a variant. I, I would say probably the game that was played today, the Sunday game, will be the highest U.S. rated game in the U.S. just because people don't have work. Um, that quarterfinal is going to be on a Thursday. It's going to be at noon, 1, 2, 3 p.m. in the uh, U.S. time zones. That's hard. People have to work. Um, and it's not the final. You know, it's it's not the one where you win it, even though it will be an incredibly significant game. Uh, yeah, viewership is going to go down. I mean, when when the home team is out, viewership goes down. That's always true. So if or when the U.S. loses, you know, viewership will go down here. Um, if or when France loses, viewership will go down there. Um, but that's the tournament. That's how it works. And I think that um, I personally wish that this matchup was going to be a little bit later, uh, either a semifinal or a final, just because I think the scheduling is better. But um I agree with Chelsea. I think that you have to have good games. The, the USA, if USA Thailand taught us anything, it's that it's valuable to have good games early because people get turned off by the bad ones. Yeah, well, they get taught us a lot more than that, but <laughs> let's say go back into that now. Uh, Marissa also says, any word on when the NWSL final, on where the NWSL final will be this year, or if there's even a date for when they plan to announce the location, and unfortunately, right now, the answer is no and no. That's fun. Uh, Brandon Holmes says, which NWSL team's players are having the best World Cup so far? What do you think, Claire? Uh, I don't know. I think they're all they're all doing pretty well. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know if I can think of, of an NWSLer that's really just having an awful tournament. Right, Although, I one? guess we should... 
mentioned that Ashlyn Harris and AD French haven't played haven't at all. Played yet? I mean, I guess, I guess, <laughs> no. I think, I think maybe the answer is that um, it's been a good showcase for the fact that the NWSL is 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 a is a very um, is a is a league with a lot of parity because you have someone like Estelle Johnson, you know, making crucial starts for Cameroon. Um, you you have. Um, let me see. You have Chana Matthews making a difference for Jamaica. I think that um, actually this has just been a really good advertisement for the depth of the league more than anything. Yeah, I guess maybe uh, Claire Polkinghorne, we've already talked about her, didn't have right. a great game in the one she's played. I actually think a lot of Kennedy's played pretty well for the most part. Yeah, she's been fine. Um, which I like Kennedy a lot. I was just kind of surprised because she hadn't been playing well for Orlando and she kind of had also been carrying a little bit of a knock earlier. So, um, all right, moving on. Uh, Shelly Kane asked for our thoughts on Morgan Bryan's play. We, we discussed her briefly. We both thought she did well. Another Brian Paul O'Brien says, can NWSL do anything about the refing situation? Pro was formed to do just that and spelled pretty miserably. Again, we've, We've talked about that. Uh, Dylan Crane says, will anyone win the battle for the bottom between Orlando and Sky Blue FC? The answer is yes. Someone at the end of the day will have to take the bottom one. I have no idea between these two teams how that will turn out because they both seem to be working pretty hard to get it. It just, I mean, right, the the depths of Orlando's misery just doesn't seem sustainable, but I guess you never know. Um, I think Sky Blue... uh, I think it'll come down to the coaches. I think Sky Blue, Denise Reddy, I'm not convinced that she has what it takes to pull them out of this, even though I think that technically they might be the better team. Um, in Orlando, it's like, you know, you keep keep banging your head against the wall, you'll break through eventually. I don't see with the talent they have coming back them continuing this run of form. I would hope so, but they also think the talent they had before they left, and they, they started out pretty awful. True. But maybe some time with the international teams will – will shake things up and they do have uh, Claire Emsley coming who scored Scotland's first ever world cup goal against England. So should note that. All right. That is, that is it. That is quite a, a heck of a podcast today with <laughs> a lot to cover. I think it'll be this way for a while. So thanks everyone for listening. This has been Claire and Chelsea with episode 64 of the Equalizer podcast. Podcast.